All right, so today we are covering two gifts. And did you, um, any of you take your gift tests? Haven't yet. Haven't yet? You have them? You got them? Okay, so you can take the gift test and have a little bit of idea. Here's what I want to tell you about any man-made gift test. What do you think I'm going to tell you? Man it's man-made. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so it's a good starting point. I still think one of the best ways to figure out what your gifting is is start trying some things on, and you'll real quickly understand what you're good at and, and what God has blessed you with and what he has not. Um, and that's one of the things um, with students specifically in college, they would always say to me, I'm going to wait for that perfect job. I'm like, you really shouldn't. You should just start working. That's what you need to do. Just start serving. Just start being a part of the body, and you'll get there. Um, because chances are you don't really at this age have a clue what you want to do. And so this is good. You'll find out what your strengths are and all those things. And with gifting supernatural, <clears throat> I got asked this from a student and I was really impressed with the answer that came back that I answered. So I'm going to share it with you. There's com some confusion about a natural gift and a supernatural gift. So I'm going to see if any of you guys know what the difference is. What's the difference between being gifted by the Holy Spirit and your natural abilities. What is the difference? Correct. Now, I will tell you straight up, Katie has said this repetitively, in the natural, she is not a teacher. In the spiritual, she is which is very interesting. I have the natural speaking gift, and it was developed from a very young age for me. However, in the kingdom, it has a supernatural element, and it does things that it never did in the natural. And I want you to understand there is a difference, because a lot of people are like, well, I, you know, I'm gifted in singing so in the natural, so therefore I must be gifted in the kingdom. I want you to understand that's one of the reasons why we're talking about this so you have the proper understanding of what these gifts are. Supernaturally, these gifts will do things that you would never be able to do in the natural no matter what you did. Okay, supernaturally. Give you a great example. Let's talk about Paul. Okay, so before Paul was um, called, well, we'll leave Saul at that point. We'll do that, Saul. Okay. So before he was called into the kingdom, what was he in the natural? Okay, so we know that he was a Pharisee. Okay, what would you call Paul? A zealot, very much. That would be the word I would use. He was a zealot. He was a murderer, right? Because he was killing people and leading them into prison for what purpose? Mm-hmm. So he would take prisoners. Yeah, he's a murderer of people who followed the way. Okay? Zealot, murderer, that. He was educated. Okay? Anything else? Mm-hmm. He was a Pharisee. Absolutely. He was what? He was a tent maker. So this is everything that before he went into the kingdom. Okay? All the things he was doing. Okay, then what happened? Giving you a little Bible lesson today. What happened? He met Jesus. 
on his way and what happened to him? He was completely, yeah, completely blinded. <clears throat> People were afraid to go near him. So I want you to understand he had a reputation. There was fear among the people for this man. So he must have been very, you know, you can get that from scripture. When the person God says, <laughs> you should go and speak to this man and, and, you know, I'm going to use him. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, God speaking to me, I would probably be like, yes, God. But he was like, are you sure? So that makes me stop and go, okay, so he's questioning God's plan right there. He did it, but he, it's okay to say, okay, yeah, I have a question. So he did that. So then Paul comes into the kingdom, and even though he had this ability, we know that he had some sort of speaking ability because he was making the case against these people. He also went before, before he went on his way to Damascus. Um, he was on his way, and he had made the case that he should be the one to go. So we know that he had the persuasion. He was able to do that. Okay, then at the appointed time, at the right um, kingdom clock time, God comes in and calls him into the kingdom and says to him, why do you what? Persecute me. Paul has a life-transforming moment. So what was he like afterwards? He was... <laughs> okay. Did he have a speaking gift? Now I want to point this out to you. Before this was to put people in prison. What happens afterwards? Uh-huh. He breaks out though. He goes to the Gentiles. And he establishes churches. And what happened to him along the way? He's persecuted. <laughs> So I just want to point this out to you. So he murdered people. He brought, took people out of their homes in chains, women, children, all that stuff. What happens to Paul? Like, talk about the numerous adventures he had. What all happens to him if you've read your scriptures? He's in a shipwreck. He's beaten. He's arrested. So he survived quite a bit. Now, the reason I say this is, is I want you to understand the difference between natural and supernatural. He was naturally gifted, but when the Holy Spirit came upon him and this gift, the speaking gift, was part of what God had called him to, look at what he was able to do. And he also wrote uh, lots of our New Testament. So... This is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up today is because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you a gift, you will keep some of your natural abilities. There's no, that's going to stay with you as we see with Paul. But the other part is this has a supernatural element that will go way beyond anything as a human being you could have ever done. The other part is, is it has to do the things we said that it was supposed to do. It's supposed to edify, it's supposed to build up, it's supposed to. Does that make sense? Does that make it a little clearer? for you when we talk about supernatural gifts, what these gifts were for, okay? Um, <clears throat> I had a student ask me because she said I'm gifted in singing and I've sang all over whatever and I believe God wants me to use this for the church. And I told her, I said, if that is true and this is a gift that God has given you to use in the church, then you should supernaturally be able to do more than you ever could as a natural person. And she just stopped and she said, what does that mean? I said, well, your job is to lead people into worship. And I said, so that would be 
that would be one of the things I would say is, is can you supernaturally do that? You know, not you yourself, but do you have the gifting to do that? So anyway, anyway, this came up um, among one of the early, um, I think I told you I have a precepts class that is just starting out. They've never done precepts. And this was one of the things, but I thought Paul was a good example. So Paul wasn't automatically changed. Paul was able to endure, which I think is, is really great. Um, from some of the things, but the same things he was doing before God saved him still play out after. Um, Sometimes we think they've changed and nothing ever happens, but I want you to understand there's a natural ability that God also, um, he has innate abilities that God used. So, yeah. All right. Well, we hope not. Well, hopefully self is what we lose. No, a lot of people are convicted in ways because of the way they've, you know, um, lived their life beforehand. So that you'll see that a lot um, with worship leaders in that if they've used talents in the um, natural and then they come into and they see the difference and, you know, they're very convicted. So, yeah. To warm up today, let's list all the spiritual gifts that you know to be true. So let's get started on those. You all have the list. It's there. I'm so excited. The more we talk about them, the more you'll get a better understanding of them. So let's start with the first one. We can say word or utterances of what? Mm-hmm. Knowledge. Uh-huh. Utterance of wisdom. What's some others? Faith. What's another one? Prophecy. What's that one you said, Susan? Uh huh. Interpretation of tongues. Mm hmm. Healing. Miracles. Mm hmm. Not yet. I'm going to put it up there. And by the way, those of you that don't know, what is exhortation? It is encouragement. I like to think of it this way. It is someone who is gifted to help people persevere. That is their job. And you know those people because some of the things we go through, like, for example, Katie is going through a very difficult thing. It's not one thing. It's been going on for a long time. You know, people with the gift of, of exhortation would be coming around her, encouraging her to endure. Okay? All right. What else? Helps. This is also labeled service, I do believe. So that might be it. Okay, administration is one. What else? Mm-hmm. Contributions or giving. I don't know why it always seems mercy has to go at the bottom of my list. It should probably be at the top, but yeah, mercy is one. Mm-hmm. Teaching and apostles. Okay. Pastor. Another word for pastor? Teacher. So there's one in there also of a shepherd. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's for the pastor. Shepherd. Pastor, shepherd. Uh, I think we have prophecy, but we'll do prophet. Yep. Okay. 
And what you said, led, uh, leadership, very much so. Discernment, uh, we have the distinguishing spirits. So that's good. Evangelist. Okay. That look pretty good to y'all? Okay. So <clears throat> here's some things right here that we know these are spiritual gifts. We know these um, to be true. And we went through four passages of scripture to get these lists, but we also got to talking about um, the truths that just from reading that. So tell me some truths that you know about spiritual gifts, and then we're actually going to talk about the gifts. So what are some truths that you already know? Given by the Spirit. Given by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Everybody has at least one. Mm-hmm. But are all different. Would you agree? All are important, but all are different. Yes, very much so. Gifts of grace. What are some other truths we took away? They don't change. Now this is interesting. Because within just making this list, we've already created a plumb line, kind of. What do you know about people if they say, I'm not gifted at all? What do you know? And I would probably say that back. I would say, well, you may not be saved. <laughs> because according to Scripture, what? You have to have at least one. You may not know what it is, but you have to have at least one. And that's true. We need to, we probably need to have a chat about your knowledge base. Yeah. So we know that everybody has at least one. It's for the, I didn't spell common, right? Um, common good of the body. Mm -hmm. It's for building up the body. They're, right. They're all needed. But do you understand how they work together, though? You have to have both, as Peter said, um, and also Paul. You have to have both the speaking gifts and what else? Mm -hmm. You have to have the service. You have to have both. They both need to be present. It's interesting. Um, I was talking to this to someone last week that serves a women's ministry, and she said, and I thought it was interesting, I mostly have been in churches that focus on service, but she said that she is attracted more to churches that focus on the speaking. And I hadn't really thought about that. I got to sit there thinking, huh, that's interesting to me. I would focus on, you know, and building up. And I had never put it that way. I was like, you know, that's a really good point. But we need both. That's one of the things that there has to be balance between the both. Of those okay you want to hit me with mm -hmm. 
Oh, you guys are so good. We are supposed to use them. Okay, so for you. So I'm supposed to work at my gift. Would you say it that way? How would you say it? I'm supposed to use it. Right. And it does, and I will tell you this, you get with your gift as you use it. I, I highly recommend people start um, using it. For example, I had a couple of weeks ago come up to me. She said, I think my gift is teaching. She's younger. She said, I'm going to start going through precepts training, make sure I'm doing this right. And then I told her, I said, the next logical step is we'll have you start doing some substitution. Because part of my job also is she may have the gift, but we also need to make sure that, you know, exercising it, but we're going to do it in a way that's appropriate. Like, you know, we're not just going to turn her loose and burn her out. We're not going to do the body and help raise her up. And that's part of what I think we often don't do with gifts. What we often do with gifts is we have a tendency to dump everything on one person and say, now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so this is really good in terms of spiritual gifts and truth. And already, with just um, we are in week four, are you starting to have a better understanding of how these operate? All right. So I wanted to write this down because I think as we get into definitely apostle and also then prophecy, I think it's very important that we understand these two in relationship to Jesus. So Isaiah 61, if you don't know, is part of scripture that comes out that tells us what Jesus came to do. And remember, Isaiah was a what? Very good. So we're going to start here today. And if somebody, um, you all can pull it up. Let's talk about what is it that Jesus came to do. Give me his actual verbs and what he came to do. Mm -hmm. He came to promote good news to who? Good news to the poor. Very good. Now, what is the good news? Uh-huh. We'll write the gospel there. Okay, good news to the poor. What else did he do? Bind up the brokenhearted. What does that mean? Put parts back together? Heal? Comfort? Okay, we'll leave that there. What else is it supposed to do? Oh, there's that word I like. Captives bond servants, those of us who've chosen. So these are different liberty to the ones that Satan has in his court. He came to take them back. Okay, and what else? Oh, we're going we're gonna to miss that one. Year's favor. And then I want to uh, leave off to proclaim the year's Lord's favor. Actually, no, let's put that up there. Proclaim the Lord's year of favor. His presence, by the way, was the proclaiming of the Lord's favor on them and then there will be a day of vengeance those of you who know your scripture what is that day of the lord yep are we there yet nope feels like it sometimes right all right day of vengeance 
All right, and what's the last one he's supposed to do? Mm. All right, then I want to, after I've laid the foundation of what it is that Jesus came to do that you have, I also want to lay down what Jesus' role is in the kingdom to come. What is he going to do? Who is he going to be? So this is what I want to do here. He's going to reign as king. Correct. And what else? He's not just king. What else is he? He's the savior. I would agree. I'm making your brains work today. Okay, this is good for you. All right, so Jesus comes back as king. Right now, would you say that our spiritual aspects of our life are separate from the governing? Do you think there's a separation of how people live their lives politically and how people are living their lives spiritually in terms of we have two different governing bodies? Would you say that is correct? Okay, all right. Was it ever intended to be that way? Why did God allow them to have a king? For And who did they ask for? Who was the first king for the his people? Saul. All right. So the reason I'm bringing this up is, and I want you to understand this, one of God's, uh, Jesus' job when he comes back is he's going to put this all back right. So not only is he walking out, doing all the things that he said he's going to do, he's also putting all of this stuff back together in his authority. So he is going to be governing the church. He's going to be governing the world. He's going to be governing the nations. <clears throat> and the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because when we start talking about the body and some of the gifts in that that you see in them, a lot of the gifts that you see function in some of his capacity. And I want you to kind of have those two layers today of what we are looking at because I want you to understand when when he left, when he was taken up, which is what we decided, uh, read last week in Ephesians 4, did he leave all of that undone, you know, for the next generation? No. What did he do? He poured out gifts so that people would be equipped to be able to continue on. And part of what's going to happen at the end times events, when he puts these back together, we won't have the conflict, which is what our soul cries out for now. We want peace. We have this conflict between government and that. I mean, you can, I love it whenever we have a new president change because among the Christians, there's always this, you know, that sort of thing going on. And we struggle. We know God is sovereign. We know all this. But the reason we're going to struggle until the day he comes back is why? Was it ever his intention that we do it the way we do it? So that's kind of what I want you to understand is, is we have this crossover in authority that is going to happen. And he's given the church authority. And he's given the church the ability. And so we need to walk properly in it. Okay? All right. So I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 
So if you are in 1 Corinthians um, 12, I want to write down as well all the things that God did with the gifts. I want you to give me all of his verbs. <clears throat> so God... God did what? There's like a list of four or five verbs there. I'm making you flip back. So 1 Corinthians 12, God, and if you wrote those out in your thing, you highlighted what God did, what does God do? He works. Okay? What else? He gives. Okay, proportions. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm really just going with what God's verbs are there. There's some wonderful words in there. He arranges. I love this. He appointed. Okay. Another word, do believe you all have it, composed. Do you see that? Huh? He placed? Okay. He what? Okay. All right. And the other one is he chose. <clears throat> Okay, and I'm going to say, my ESV says he empowers, and I kind of like that. So I put these words here, and this all has to do, by the way, with gifts. Okay. He puts the gifts in us, in the body, as he chooses, as he sees fit, as creator and orchestrator. He does all that for what end? You guys all have studied this. What is the truth? To what end? To what? Build up the body? His glory? For what reason? You guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. For what reason? For what reason are we doing this? He's coming back to reign as king. And where are we? So does it make sense to you that he would equip us and prepare us because what's happening with us? You are so smart. I love this. Yeah. All right. So part of what I want you to get today also with the gifts, and a lot of people, and I'm going to share this with you, a lot of people have a lot of discussion about whether these ex gifts exist, all these things, and we're going to get into that today. What I want you to understand is the structure, and I want you to understand by whose authority we're operating in, okay? Do you think that the Lord of all equipped us to be able to carry on with all that he had so we could be able to do the work that he's assigned us to do? Absolutely. What is the work that we are assigned to do? You just said it. What is our work? With our gifts, we are to? We're to edify the body. We're to glorify him. We are to? 
So I want you to understand he's equipped us to do this, but there is an end point to this. It's not just, hey, we're the church, okay? We're a good church. We're a good-looking church. The point is, is one day we're going to be reigning with him. So we need to start acting like and using the attributes that he gave us that are his. Get exciting? Yesterday when I was uh, plowing through all this, I'm like, oh, man, this is so good. Because when I put it back, because I was praying about this, I was like, God, you know, a lot of people just talk about the gifts. And I said, I want to see the continuity of what you've done. So that's part of why I did it this way today was so you could see, okay, because now it becomes really easy. All right, so this person is doing this gift. Which one of these do we see happening? Day of vengeance is not ours, so don't. You're over that. You don't get that one. Um, but you start to see when you start looking at the gifts and exhorting, edifying, comforting, those sorts of things, they are all of these back and through. And like I said, day of vengeance is not ours. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I had a student in my one of my classes a couple of days ago say, we're supposed to turn our other cheek. We're supposed to let people abuse us. We're supposed, you know, she said, it seems like it's a split personality. And I just, I mean, I really felt bad for it because, I mean, it was like everything within me just welled up. I'm like, it's the same king, <laughs> you know? And I told her, I said, the reason you need to is vengeance is his. That's one of the reasons why. It is his alone because he is king. So anyway, so we get excited and we start talking about some of these things. And as we're going to get into this today, I really think I wanted to lay that framework so you can see this. Ephesians 4, we get a lot of ones. So I want to talk about this real quick. We are supposed to have one what? One, there's a whole bunch of them, a whole list. Ephesians, one body, one spirit, one. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are multiple ways to God. Okay, why not? Because there's only one. And how is that one way? There's one body, one spirit, one... Yeah, and I want you to kind of get these in your head, and you know, now you know Ephesians 4. That's where not only does it show that the body is supposed to work together, we have to be driven together into one. All right, now you all know this. The body may work as one, and God may have uh, placed all these beautiful gifts to work as one, but what happens to the body real quick? We are spirit and flesh. So this is what we have to start dealing with because flesh starts entering in. And that's what, towards the end today, we're going to talk about how to distinguish the gifts and what's happening between false and real. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go. All right. So let's start with the gift of apostle. And I'm going to actually put it right here so you all can see it. Um, so gifts of the apostle, they had us do a word study. I know Martha did her word study, so I'm going to ask her. Oh, okay. Six fifty two, I think that's what I got. Six fifty two, and this is for the gift of apostle. Right. And what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Yep, a messenger. 
I would love to hear your longer definition. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know, it's interesting you should come up with that because the actual, this is where I had to do a lot of digging, but when I saw the overlap, I got so excited. I was like, I can't wait for tomorrow. Like, it was hard for me to sleep last night. Um, so part of what um, I want to share with you is this is a Greek word. It is a, a unique word. At the time, they didn't use this word very often. So when Jesus uses it, he uses it because, one, it's unique, it's to set them apart. Now, he picked the 12 from the other disciples to follow him around in that. And I want to just share this with you real quick. He picked the 12. How did he pick them? You guys all studied this. What happened right before he came down and picked the 12? He prayed all night. So I want to put that up here. All right. And if by chance, if you looked in Acts, um, before... The church picked another apostle. What did they do? They prayed. Okay? So what you see, and I want you to understand this, they prayed. Um, when you see this gift and when these are picked, the idea is, is there's some sort of authority that we are seeking. And you see both of those doing that here. So it's a Greek word, it's an unusual word, but it actually relates back to a Hebrew concept. And that is what I want to share with you today. So the actual word that this relates back to is S-H-A-L-I-A-C-H. Okay, that's an A. So anybody want to give a try at how to say that? That's pretty good. I would go with that. I just said, shh, there you go. Okay, so that word. All right, so this word means, blow in the Hebrew, bondservant. So I want you to just kind of understand what happened. Jesus came off the mountain, picked the 12. He used a word that was unique to the Greek, but he called them literally what? He put them captive. And I want you to understand that happened for him, okay? Um, and this is what I think is really exciting because does that relate to what we said yesterday or last week uh, with what we were talking about in terms of how are these supposed to operate? We're supposed to be captive under Christ. So you see this happen. So the first time this word in Hebrew is actually used is with Abraham and his servant who goes out to find a wife for Isaac. Okay, and that's actually in Genesis 24. Anybody remember that story? It's kind of like a, a little, I always wondered why it was there because it seems so odd. So Isaac has just been born and Abraham says what to his servant? Do any of you remember? Outside of the family, right? He wants him to stay with what God has deemed to be appropriate. So he sends his older, loyal servant to operate in his stead to find a wife for his son. So, and the whole point is whatever this servant does, he has the full authority of Abraham. 
Make sense? So <clears throat> one of the things when people start talking about this gift and whether it exists or not, one of the things I want to share with you is, is having understood that and understanding it's an Old Testament. So when people say, you know, Old Testament, those sorts of things, we see people operating under the authority of their master. Again, you start to see continuity through scripture. You start to see how this is going to lay out. And so when this uh, Rebecca was found and she agreed to marriage or the families negotiated or whatever, even though Abraham wasn't there and Isaac wasn't there, was she officially married to Isaac? Correct. Because he had the full authority to be able to do that. Okay, it's a very strange story because you're like, how does, why is it in there? After I read that, I'm like, now I know why it's in here because this is the first example in scripture that we see of this sort of thing happening where someone is a bond servant and they go forward in the full authority of the master to do his work. Not his work, the master's work. And he prayed. <laughs> Isn't that good stuff? I told you, I got so excited I can hardly stand it. Yeah, and he prayed. He prayed because he's like, what if I find someone that she will not come back with me, which I really think is funny because I'm like, I want you to come back and marry this child. No. You know, that's what the, the, the bond servant was like, what happens if this goes south? Yeah, and the master said, you know, pray about it. You know, you will know. You will know. I find that to be fascinating because what has happened is you start to see this. All right, the second thing I want to do, which you all did, whether you knew it or not, <clears throat> is I, actually, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to give you a timeline for an apostle. And this is very fascinating to me. All right, so as you know, with all scripture, we like to do timelines. And I am just going to put one major event on the timeline, which is the cross. All right. So you guys did a whole bunch of research. You did your cross-references. I want you to explain to me where does the office and the gifting of apostle show up? Is it on one side of the cross? Is it on the other side of the cross? Is it on both sides of the cross? Yeah, Martha. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. So now we have, so this is something I want you to understand because, again, remember, before we even get about the gift, I think it helps you understand what the purpose was. So Jesus comes off the cross, or comes off the cross. He comes um, down from praying all night, and he selects the 12 and 612, and then he calls them to go about doing signs and wonders. He gives them authority over what? Yeah. So he gives them authority. Okay, so going back to up here, does Jesus have the right to give them the authority? So he hands them authority. He says, here you go. Now, this is really interesting 
So he gives them the authority to do that. Here's the question that I think might be interesting for you to kind of play with in your mind. Where's the Holy Spirit at this point? When is it poured out on the church? Okay. And I like, so again, now I'm not saying the Holy Spirit wasn't with them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we know the Holy Spirit is poured out for the church specifically in Acts. We know that happens. This is what those things. But what you're seeing is the gift and operation of apostle, which he called them. That was his name for them before the cross. So whose authority are they operating in? It's just like what we would have seen Abraham do to his servant. He gave him the full authority to go out and do what they needed to do. He gave them the authority. Now, they all work together, Trinity, you know, uh, God, Father, Holy Spirit, they all work together. But when people start saying the gift of apostle doesn't exist today, one of the things I want to take back to you is simply this. The gift of apostle, which I find curious, is on either side of the cross. That's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And see, this is really interesting because I always wondered, and this is from this perspective, when why was it Paul could stand before all the Gentiles and say, I am clean, I am, because he's a murderer. Like, he had to be convicted. And so I really started trying to go after this. And one of the reasons he could do that is he understood to the moment that he was saved, God's appointment. God had an appointment, God's plan. Even though he did all these things, and we saw those natural abilities that he had, God was going to use those natural abilities for his kingdom work, but at the appointed time. And so, you know, I had, when I said that one time, um, we were teaching Galatians, My one of my students said to me, she said, so I don't have to walk around feeling guilty that I didn't come to Christ earlier. Paul didn't. <laughs> Paul didn't. Paul was like, at the appointed time, he found me. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to give you this framework today, because he appoints, he arranges, he chose, he empowers these gifts in the body as we're going forth, knowing that the cross is coming, knowing that He, the Holy Spirit will fall on the church. He also gives them the authority beforehand. And what was the purpose of the authority beforehand? Which one of these gifts were most of them operating in? <clears throat> what were the gifts that were showing up that people were talking about? Signs and wonders. So you're talking miracles, healings, and don't you remember there's a passage where somebody said, I wasn't able to do this, Lord, right? What's that passage? There were two apostles that went out, and they came back, and they said we couldn't do it. And again, let's go back to the faith thing. They were equipped. They were able. He had given them full authority. He had done that to them. They were his. Okay? Kind of interesting, isn't it? So what you see in there, and I believe that's a really good example of, for them, they were walking in authority and they weren't able to do it with their faith being so small in that, is also you start to see 
that the Holy Spirit wasn't maybe fully in them yet as well. Starts making you start nodding your head and like, okay, I'm starting to see this gift and how it operates. All right. So um, we've done the timeline. We've talked about how we're supposed to act. And instead, I want to go through and write out from the cross-references everything we learn about the gift of apostle. So if you want to pull up your cross-references, and by the way, we had a lot of them. Would you agree? Every time I read one, I was like, what is she trying to get us to see here? What is she trying to get us to see here? Yeah. And by the way, if you did not know this, we will have this discussion now. What is it about apostle that causes so much distress in the church? Mm-hmm. What is it? Do people, is there a disagreement on whether or not this exists today? <clears throat> right. So my thing today isn't so much to say whether or not it exists or not. I just want to talk about the gifting and then like make you your own discussion. Because even if we don't agree that it's apostle, I believe that there are gifts that were given to them. What they do in the body still exists. They have to in some ways. Uh, because, again, we are not reigning yet. So one of the things I want to make sure that you understand is a lot of good people have had this discussion. There are denominations who have been built solely on the fact that they have 12 apostles. I want you to understand that, religions. So when you start talking about these things, people start getting very offended and that sort of thing. That's why I think it's good to have proper context of how these were supposed to operate and also what was the purpose of giving them. When you understand an apostle... Their main purpose was to go out as a bondservant. It was after much prayer because he's giving them his authority. His authority. The, the apostles were looking for another one to join their group, and they were going to give him Christ's authority. They were not taking this light. It isn't just something that for anybody. This is something you have to understand is very, very important because they operate in the place of the master okay all right so cross-references what do we find out anything strike you as like oh yeah mm -hmm. you're exactly right he is an apostle <clears throat> He was sent from who? With whose authority? Now does the language start to make more sense to you in Scripture of why he says, I come to do my father's business? I come to do, you start to see that bond servant kind of language start to think out. Now remember, <clears throat> this is my gifting. I love language. I love to see continuity. I just love to see it. And what you see is, is he's saying to about himself that. Now, messenger is the way it's uh, um, kind of, I'm going to say diluted into Greek as messenger. They also use one of these words as angel as well. Um, it's a similar concept. So if you've ever studied anything about angels being messengers for God, that sort of thing. However, angels, um, 
are not bond servants. So this one does have a different context. It's not just a messenger. This is someone with full authority. All right, so Jesus is an apostle. And what else is he? He is a high priest, okay? So I'm going to write that up here. Okay, what else did you learn in your cross-references? And this was Hebrews. Okay? Okay, Matthew 10, what did you come up with? Mm-hmm. They had authority. Now, let's take that a step further. If someone has an unclean spirit, who is dominating them? So who is it that they really, he gave them authority over? Don't get all caught up in the, as I always say, in the woohoo of it and miss the point. He gave them authority over Satan. Okay? How many were apostles? Mm-hmm. Now, would you say all 12 were fully apostles? There's one in there that we just have to think about. <laughs> one who betrayed him. Would you call him a true apostle? So this is one of those where you get into a little sticky situation. He was called. He was at, I think he's a great example of what false is. Okay, I think he's a great example of that. But there were 12 officially appointed. What did you also find out about 12? Where does the number 12 pop up again? Foundation stones, and we see that in Revelation. So we see the foundation stones. We have 12 um, that are supposed to represent the apostles. And this is in Revelation 21. Is that right? Okay. Uh, 12 were appointed apostles. This is Matthew 10. Foundation stones. So we know, and, and I will say this because I believe it's absolutely true. I think these 12 are very special. I, I think you have to say that with scripture. The 12 he picked and the 12 that we see, the foundation stones, the question always arises, probably not going to be Judas in, in Revelation. So who is the other apostle? Yeah. So that's the discussion. Who is it? Doesn't say. <laughs> but it's a good discussion. So if you really like want to go to dinner with somebody sometime and like have a Bible discussion, this is one to be like, who's the, who's the other apostle? Uh, you can have this discussion and freak people out. Um, but anyway, because they'll go home and they'll be like, I, 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 I never thought of that. Um, anyway, 12 apostles. So I want you to think about it, though, because there's a foundation of 12. Why 12 apostles? Why is this number 12 so important? Mm-hmm. Because there are 12 tribes of Israel. So you start seeing continuity. So if these apostles are going to be foundation, 
and we see them, we know there's 12 tribes of Israel, we start to see the continuity in Scripture. Okay? All right. So uh, Acts 1, verses 2 through 5, um, what did you find in there? This is after Jesus is resurrected. Mm-hmm. So Judas, uh, Judas's position was open. And by the way, lots, a lot of people say they're like dice, but they are divine for a divine purpose to know the will of God. That is the point of them. And a lot of people say they just threw dice. Again, what did we just say about God? God appoints, he chooses, he... So remember, if that doesn't line up with known doctrine, throw it out, because that's not, that's not the right interpretation. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is a really good question. What do you think? Uh, I think I was asking you. <laughs> you were. I think there is a difference. I think you're right. Yay. <laughs> do you want to specify why you think there's a difference? No. <laughs> okay. All right. So Jesus, uh, Judas's position is open. Who are they supposed to wait for? Okay. They're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. I love this. Who tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I love that. Y'all should wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't be doing anything on your own. You need to be waiting for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love that. One of the reasons I love that is because <clears throat> they're his bond servant. They're supposed to go out into the world. They know all this, um, and they're supposed to be uh, doing um, what he has called them to do in his stead. But I just find this interesting because he's like, and you need to be equipped with the Holy Spirit. You need to do, you need this. But why do they need the Holy Spirit now? Like, what what is it that they, why do they need this now? Jesus is gone, but why else? What is this gift supposed to do? What is What are these gifts supposed to do again? It is supposed to, edify and build up the church okay and I like to say it this way these gifts best operate and all these scriptures that we have given you in the first um, few lessons where we went through the gifts all these gifts have bookends the one the bookend of one of them is the Holy Spirit that is one end and the other end is they are to operate in love of believers for the body. And these are your two bookends. That are how is how they are to operate. So if you have someone going out and they're supposed to be building up the body and they're supposed to be, the first thing they should have is the Holy Spirit. I love it when you see order. Okay, so when this Holy Spirit was poured out at the day of Pentecost, which is what a lot of people refer to it as, what happened? Are you speaking in tongues? What? 
Everything, everybody couldn't stand it. It was intelligible. People understood what was happening. Yep. So, real quick, what did Jesus tell them to go do at the beginning of that timeline that I drew up there? What was what was their commission? To wait before Acts, though, when when he comes off the mountain, he gives them what? His authority. What does he tell them to go do? Heal. He tells them to go do the signs and wonders. Okay, so Jesus is on earth. We have all these things happening. Holy Spirit shows up. What's happening? Same spirit. Okay, I want you to understand there's continuity. That was one of the reasons why I think it's very important when we talk about this gift, we're talking about continuity. Jesus' authority and what he gave to them and then what is happening in the church through the Holy Spirit. But we are operating for one reason and one reason only, and that is to edify and build up the church for the purpose. One day we will be with him as reign as king. And I want you to kind of understand a little bit about that because why would we edify the body? Why would we build up the body? What is its purpose to do all that? And one day there won't be a church. Why? We'll be with him. He will be it. And we won't need the gifts. Why don't we need the gifts? He's there because he will give us, if it's needed, his authority, his, does it make sense? Like you start to see, oh, yeah. So these have to operate in the Holy Spirit and they have to operate in love. I love this. I love it when you meet someone who believes they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but then they go around hurting the body of Christ and just beating them up to all who, and you're like, all right, you're missing a bookend. We need to move you back and kind of get your book in straight because these gifts are supposed to operate in love, which everybody says, Peter, Paul, they all say the same thing, love one another. And you're given your gift by the Holy Spirit. You have to have both. Okay. All right. Starting to get excited about some of it. Just me get excited when I start talking about stuff like this. All right. So what is the actual gift? Let's talk about that. Acts 2.43, Hebrews 2. Um, what is it that you start to see with the gifts? Mm-hmm, many signs and wonders. Now do you know why there were signs and wonders? Same spirit with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. So again, these are... Um, supposed to be also calling people to the body. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Did you do any research on awe? No. So anybody want to go take awe? So it's in Acts. It's the letter G on page 41. Sure, tell me what awe is. It is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so read that scripture again. There were signs of wonder and there was what? Terror. <laughs> Isn't it? Then it gets me. So here's the thing. I always think this way about awe. If scripture says awe, 
99% of the time, it's like shock and awe. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about you can't come back from it. It's one of those, oh my gosh, this just happened. It's one of those in your face. And because of the natural being, we can't, we can't even comprehend it. For example, um, people who've been in hurricanes, people who have been in um, tornadoes, if you've gone through something that's catastrophe, flooding, that sort of thing, you had no ability to stop what was happening whatsoever. You had no ability to be able to process it. Your first instinct is to run or safety. It is that, and it's amazing what clears out of your head, and you are just, this is, that's what was happening to them. This supernatural event was so convicting, so in their face, people felt that sense that things would never be the same. All right. Okay, so we know that many signs and wonders took place. What else? In Acts 6, what does it say the 12 are supposed to do? Mm-hmm, they're supposed to pray and what? Now, Anywhere in there, by the way, Acts 6 is the one that um, to go to if you want to see the speaking gifts and the serving gifts working together. That scripture right there has both of them working. They never said that the serving gift isn't important, correct? All right, I want to point that out to you because scripture sometimes is just as important what it doesn't say as what it does say. It says the serving gift is important, but we need to what? Correct. So I want you to understand the speaking gift and the service gift have to go hand in hand. Not everybody has a speaking gift. Not everybody has a serving gift. We have to use them both. And it's important to note they knew what was the most important for them that they should be focusing on. Okay. What else were they doing? What is the main point of an apostle in Old uh, New Testament? Ministry of the Word, correct. What else? Do they stay in one place? Not usually. So they usually travel, have some sort of, you could even say missionary bent. Okay, so they travel. Ministry of the Word. They're supposed to teach and build up. Acts 16.4 says they spoke the word of the Lord for the church and decided the decrees of the believer. So the apostles were together, and a lot of them were used in deciding out how the church was going to run and how things were going to operate. Why would these 12 be the best one, um, or 11, be the best ones to decide that? Go back to what you know about apostles. Why would these guys be the best ones to figure out what... Um, what was going to be done in the church. Right. So these I'm going to say were eyewitness to Jesus. So 
And what relationship did they have? So when Jesus said, go do this. So it's interesting because now when I start saying this, some things are going to come to your mind. When Jesus says to them, go, go find a donkey, go find a foal, go find a, and they're doing it. Why are they doing it? Because they're servants. That's what they're supposed to do. It's part of who they are. When, when he tells them to go do something, he does it. It's that relationship that we don't really have a concept of. Um, and full authority. Somebody said that a signet ring was often used to show that um, uh, that they were uh, had the authority of the one of the master, which I think is interesting. Um, the word seal came up a lot. They had the seal of the master, which I think is interesting because we know when we have the Holy Spirit, what are we? So you start to see that, I guess, the imagery all throughout Scripture, it starts to really get exciting there okay all right and Galatians this one throws a wrench into it I love Paul I absolutely adore some of the stuff he says but Paul comes along is Paul an official eyewitness account at the crucifixion and that no so but he comes along and what does he do he says what correct he says I'm an apostle all right um, who was he sent out by? Mm-hmm. And I would say that's for all of them. So why did persecution fall on the early church in Jerusalem? Persecution originally happened to them for one reason. Where were all the apostles? And they were supposed to go. Right. One of the other things about the gift of apostle, which I thought was interesting, is a lot of the times they're autonomous. That is, they go out and do with the full authority of the master, but you don't see a group behind them usually coming with them. It is usually them, which I find very interesting because they're an important role in the body, but they don't necessarily need the whole body for what they're called to do. Does that make sense? Like there's a, they have a unique position set out by Jesus. Okay. Um, and who was he specifically sent for? Gentiles. So we have Jewish believers, and then Paul is sent out to the Gentiles. Now this is interesting. Let's go back to Isaiah. Let's think of the, the 12 that we now have on, um, the one uh, that joined in. So we have the 12, we have Paul, and what was their job? Do you start seeing some of what they're doing over and over again? They are supposed to proclaim liberty. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? But you see their functioning is why they were called to do this. They are unique in that they have the full authority when they come in. Now, that does not mean as believers we don't have authority, but they were gifted as a bondservant with the full authority. So in the stead, they were operating as if the master himself was there. Okay? All right. So this is where it gets a little sticky. And this is what she brought you up uh, with. So there are other people called apostles that aren't the 12 and aren't Paul. And who are they? Name, name some of them. Barnabas. 
Yep. Yeah, and you know, I I dove into that myself. So it's Romans sixteen seven, and and I want to share this with you. So a different interpretation says, and by the way, uh, female there, um, these are apostles, and other translation says they were esteemed among the apostles. Here's my thing with this. This is where you get into the text, and and I'll just be very clear. The words we have that are translated are clear. But the continuity of what they mean, we've lost in context. We have no, I can't tell you that's what it says. I looked and looked. I did all the word studies in that. It's not clear. There are words missing that are not there. Um, but again, we go back to known doctrine. We go, no, we go back to what we know to be true. And one of the things about the gift of apostle, I will tell you, the reason I believe this one is such a hot button in the church as of today is what reason do you think I think it's important? If you know anything about end time events, why do you think I think this is a problem in the church? What's going to happen at end times events? They're going to show up, which is why I think we struggle with it. Because um, one of those things is, is Satan is going to use this office. That's why I think it's important that we understand what it is what it's supposed to do, how it's supposed to function. So when we see a false one, we know exactly that's not real. That's not what it's supposed to be. So that's one of the reasons a lot of people just want to say that it doesn't exist and not talk about it. I don't think that's healthy either. I think we have to talk about it. And she took you through some thought processes about that, um, about how people see the office of, a pro, uh, of apostle. I'll ask you, do some of you think that um, it exists or doesn't exist? Well, we'll talk about the off. Well, we'll go back. Foundation of the church. They are the foundation. And they are supposed to grow the church in masses. So explain that to me. What's the difference between the gift and the office? What's the difference between a gift and the masses? Or in the office. I would say the gift is one who does it. So here's the thing. The characteristics that we see, do some of these characteristics still exist today? Some of them. Okay. So that's part of what, that's the gift. When you see the characteristics, that's the gift. Okay. Office. What is the office? They operate in the full authority. They believe, and this is where I'm going to draw the distinction, I believe that theirs was a very unique relationship. I really do. And I believe that because of this. Yeah. Um, but, again, one of these things, I don't think that none of this exists anymore. I, I don't believe that. What I believe wholeheartedly and what I think Scripture has poured out is that these are people that teach and build up the body. These are people that were in close relationship with Jesus. These are people who go out. They're supposed to be the foundations of the churches. And so you can see this gifting, and we call them different things throughout Christendom. But what, uh, where would you see this gift a lot of times in what we call people? Missionaries. So for me to say, yeah, it doesn't, I can't do that. But anyway, I want to share this with you. This is one that has people really worked up. And that's one of the things she said, you know, does it exist, doesn't exist? It's really interesting to me because when you start talking about topics like this, 
I love it. Scripture is not definitive. Isn't it wonderful? It's not definitive. So the question is, is does this affect our salvation? And that's that's your line. So the people who say that I guess the gift is no longer correct. The gift of uh, the. So again, there are religions out there that say apostles operate today and they have the true church with the apostles. And the people typically who are against that and who make the distinction is because they're trying to combat that, typically. They're trying to combat the false religions that say there are apostles and they exist today. So they've gone to the extreme saying, okay. Right? Interesting, huh? Okay. All right, let's get to prophecy. All right. All right. So the first time Katie and I had a lunch, uh, Katie told me that a lot of times teachers have prophecy gifts. Okay, that freaked me out. Really a lot. And the reason that that freaked me out um, was because I came out of of a religious system that operated heavily in that. And then I was like, No, 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 no. But once I got to understand what the gift was and what it meant, it gave me so much freedom that that's one of the things I want to keep reiterating is that one of the reasons we need to talk about these gifts and we need to keep going over them is so that we have freedom when we when we run up to something that isn't correct or counterfeit. We can walk right up and say, "Mm -mm, this doesn't this isn't operating right. This can't be this is not how this gift goes. And I think we make a mistake in people when we have a tendency to say, you know, they don't exist or I don't want to talk about them. I think we absolutely have to talk about them. All right, so prophecy. What was the number for that? Anybody but Martha. (laughs) All right. 4394, so it's Greek. Okay. All right, and what does it mean? Mm Mm-hmm. And enforcing what? I love it. Okay. I would like to hear it. And then prediction. All right. I'm so glad you said that. I'm going to go over there right now. All right. So what is the mind and will of God for all of us? What is scripture in general? For those of you who don't know. Becky, I could call on you. You probably have encountered this, but maybe not. Maybe next year. Next year? (laughs) Word of God. What is the point of scripture? What is the point of us knowing history and all of that? What is the point of a timeline? Like, what does this all lead to? So, the reason we get into scripture, the reason we do discussion, the reason we keep doing this is because it's salvation history. 
This is why you study. This is so you can understand the plan of God. Why do you think I'm telling you this about prophecy when we get into foretelling and prediction and knowing the mind of God? What plumb line have I just given you? <laughs> you got it? It has to line up. This is the point of everything we do. Okay? Um, I want you to understand this is why we're Bible students. This is why we want people to understand there's a salvation and there's a reason why we're going through what we're doing. The Israelites were called and set apart and went through their uh, rituals that they did and, and have their festivals for a very specific reason. It's because of salvation history, because Christ is coming. And part of what I want you to kind of wrap around your head from Genesis to Revelation, it is laid out for us to understand and comprehend. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. When we get into the gifts of prophecy, a lot of people think this is just telling the future. I'm going to tell you the future. You're going to be great. And it lines up with God's word. He's coming back. Okay? And part of what I want you to understand is, is that's where it needs to line up. So if we were going to operate in this gift, should the prophecy be, who is it for? Who is prophecy for? Believers, where should it be done? You guys got into this. So we know who. It's for believers. It's a gift that's supposed to operate in the church, right? In the body of believers. So that's why it's operating. And for what purposes? Equipping. Okay, and we are supposed to, prophets will, and you will see this, with their words, they can edify, they can comfort, they can warn the body, and they are also supposed to encourage the body or exhort. All right, so we know where they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to function, right? So if you have somebody telling you, for example, that end times is supposed to happen on this date and God gave them a special message, what do you know? <laughs> and one of the reasons I say that and one of the reasons I want you to understand is there are a lot of people out there who say, God gave me special knowledge, I'm a prophet, I'm a, but here's your plumb line. Now there's another plumb line. What is the other plumb line with a prophet and, a, and the gift of prophecy? Mm -hmm. it, it comes to pass, correct. And I've shared this before and I don't mind sharing it again. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a woman I did not know. We do not go to the same church. I would question her Christianity. Stood up at a Thanksgiving Day meal, put her hands on me, and prophesied that I was going to have a baby. I do not have any children, just so you're aware. In front of a whole group of people eating mashed potatoes and turkey. Without even getting into any of that, let's go back to what we know about prophecy. What's it for? And what's it supposed to do? And where's the focus? Where was her focus? And herself. So 
without even going deeper into that, let's just go forward. Was that a true prophecy? Could she have the gift of telling the future? Maybe, but I don't think she's Christian. (laughs) And part of what I want you to understand is those sorts of things just rub me the very wrong way because this is the way I look at them. You opened your mouth with the authority of what you said was God and spoke silliness. And now there are a group of people out there when this doesn't come to pass is going to question the authority and validity of our God. May you be held accountable for such things. That bothers me. And that's part of why I think this gift, people shy away from it and they don't want to get into it. But again, if you understand the gift, it shouldn't shouldn't scare you. Because again, it's for the church equipping for service edifying. And it's supposed to be the knowledge of God that we may or may not have with scripture. We may have to have some leadings in a way. And a good prophecy is good for that. It's supposed to build up. Okay. All right. So where do, let's just talk about this. Anybody know who the first prophet was who showed up in scripture? Because I went looking for it because good way to know, like I said, I went looking for the first apostle. So now I'm going to look for the first prophet. And most scripture points to Aaron as being one of the first prophets, which is in Exodus. So give me a whole list of prophets that you know from Old Testament. And yeah, give me, give me a list. Hosea. All right. So tell me about Hosea. Just give me a brief whatever. Hosea, he married a harlot. Okay, because this was supposed to represent Israel, just so you know. Okay, all right, and he spoke the words of God over Israel, right? All right, so there's one. Give me another one. Jonah, he's one of my favorites. So Jonah was supposed to go to his dreaded enemy, Nineveh, which, by the way, is where? It's in Syria. So one day I have a like I have a date with other people. I'm like, one day you will take me to Damascus, and one day you will take me here, and I want to see these things. All right. So he was supposed to speak the word of God. Was he very happy about it? <laughs> and God still used him. Isn't it great? Okay. So I like to call him. He was reluctant. He was reluctant in obedience, but he did it. Jeremiah. Let's talk about him. So this one, he preached salvation to repent. And did they do it? Okay. So this is good. Jeremiah. All right. Where's Jeremiah? Who do, who was his specific group of people? He was left in Jerusalem mainly after Babylon had come in. And who was left in Jerusalem? What a group of people was he mainly prophesying to? Israel? Very specific group of people though. The remnant. So these are the ones nobody wanted. So after Babylon plundered Israel um, and took Jerusalem, they took Daniel, they took the tradespeople, and then all the poor, The these are the people left. And I don't want to say, and, and this is going to sound really terrible, but the people that they deemed didn't have value. I'm not saying they didn't have value. I'm saying the people who plundered thought they didn't have value. That's why they left them. So anyway, so the ones left, there were three sieges, as you know, so he was supposed to do them. Hmm. Now let's just go back. So Jeremiah's job is to speak the words of God. 
To who? The poor. Seem familiar? Hmm. All right. So Hosea, Jonah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. So tell me about a little bit about Isaiah. He's a fun prophet. He was naked for three years. Yeah. He's a prophet. And he did that because it was to symbolize who? Israel being exposed to their enemies. So, and he is also supposed to speak the word of God. All right. So Daniel is a prophet. Where's Daniel? He's in Babylon, and he would be one of the chosen. He was taken in the first siege. And he is to, mm-hmm, right. So he did dreams, and he's also to the people in Babylon that are also Israel, uh, Israelites. So these were your more, I don't want to say upper class, but they would have been, they were the sons and daughters of rulers and elders, and yeah, gets taken. Okay, so these are just the three, the, a couple of them. Oh, there's one more, Ezekiel. Okay, so Ezekiel is where? He is not in Babylon. He is in captivity. So he's in captivity, not Babylon, and he is mainly to the elders of Israel. What is an elder? He's the leaders of Israel. Now, I did it specifically so you would see this. These three all happen about the same time. So Jeremiah is to the poor. Daniel is to what I would call um, the governing powers. And this is for the leadership. All prophets, all about the same time, all with the same message for Israel as they were taken into captivity. Okay? What is the point of prophecy? To build up the body, to encourage, to exhort, to comfort those who mourn. You start seeing the gifts a little more, why they're doing it. And this would have been huge because God took them off their land. He was punishing them. And so you see three prophets line up. And again, don't overlap, but they also overlap. And God's message to every group is the same. Now, there's specific things that he says to the government that he doesn't say to the leadership. And, you know, he holds some more accountable than others. I want you to understand that because they've said we're going to lead our people and they led their people astray. And he gets into the woe, woe, woes. Okay? So you get a lot of those in there. Okay? And I want you to understand this is what we see operating not only in the gift, but in the what, Susan? Office. The office. So you get to see some of these things. So when it translates over into the body, um, so we're going to put it on a timeline real quick because I love timelines. I do this a lot. So let's do this. So we have prophets in Old Testament. Would you agree? Just showed you that. All right. So along comes, and they're supposed to be the mouthpiece of God. That is their job. Even if they do it reluctantly, that is their job. Okay? So then you come up to when Jesus is born. What happens right before Jesus is born for 400 years? 
No spoken words, which is what? There are no prophets. For 400 years. That's really small. You probably can't see that. But anyway, no prophets for 400 years. Then who breaks that? What is the breaking? (laughs) Very good, Susan. You did a good turnaround. I like that. Yeah, your mind went there. So who comes on the scene? Who's who's prophesying now? John's John's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now this is fascinating to me. Elizabeth is in the bloodline of Aaron. I just thought that was really interesting when I read that. I was like, now I understand. This is really interesting. So you have one of the first prophets. Then all the way down here, there's been silence. And now you have... Jesus is about to show up on the scene, but before Jesus shows up on the scene, what happens? There is a a forerunner who is John. And John comes out of the wilderness, which, by the way, I always thought wilderness in my head was like, um, I don't know, like I think of Colorado, I think of, you know, that type of wooded area, but it's actually like rocks and where they would have come went to um, when they were 40 years in the desert, that sort of wilderness. He comes out wearing the cloak of Elijah, looking like Elijah, like he comes out like that, out of the woods, saying what? Repent! Isn't it great? Right. Now, he has come out to say that. So why is he calling everybody to repentance? Do we start to see some continuity with prophets? He comes out, 400 silence. He is the one that broke the silence in terms of his parents did, and God used them um, in the temple. Then he comes out of the wilderness and starts saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then who shows up? Ha, 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 ha. So here's the question. Did John's prophecy come true? Isn't it beautiful? So, and then you have Jesus. That Do they call Jesus a prophet? Yes. yes, they do. Okay, and again, I want to share this with you. In Isaiah 61, you start to see these gifts operating all together, but as king and lord, he is the prophet. He is our high priest. He is our confessor. He is, and I want you to understand, these gifts are there in him, and he is the reigning king. But that's one of the things also I wanted to point out today when we start to see the timeline of where do these gifts show up. All right, so real quick, we're going to go through and write out what they all are. Are you guys good with laying out the Isaiah and everything? Okay, good. So you also see, and I want you to understand that with the office of prophet, Susan, you probably saw me do this a little bit. What do you think with the office of prophet was true? What did a lot of them have to do? Did they have to do certain things as illustrations for Israel? (laughs) They were supposed to be symbols to the people of God's judgment, God's love, God's, and they had to live that life. I have to tell you, I'm really, really glad I'm on this side of the cross. (laughs) 
because I wouldn't have wanted to shave half my head and then lay on one side for three years and then lay on the other side for three years, which some of them did out of obedience. I would have been a lot like, and I have no doubt, I would have been a lot like if I was called at that time period, Jonah. I don't want to do it. You know, that's why I think this is kind of funny. So let's talk about the gift of prophet uh, or prophecy in general and talk about exactly what we see in here. So what is it that they do? Uh, using cross-references. They what? They equip the saints. How do they equip the saints? What are they using? Uh-huh. They're using this speaking gift. Now, this can be used by either the Word of God itself or God's imparted wisdom to them when they're speaking. I made a joke this week in teaching. It was just a joke. I was just messing up. Um, um, they all, all the students looked like they hadn't done their homework. So I made the comment. Um, uh, uh, I said, am I going to have to check your homework like BSF? And I just said that like that. That's it. Now, it was wrong done. I love BF, BSF, by the way. I'm not, that wasn't it. I just made a joke. After class, a student came up to me. She goes, on the way over here, I just wanted to tell you, I didn't come to class, or I wasn't going to come to class because I didn't do my homework, and I was thinking about switching over to BSF because, <laughs> and I was praying all the way over here to God about it because I was going to leave precepts because I thought this was too hard. She said, and then as I was sitting there and you said that, God just, I mean, it just welled up in my heart, Lisa. You don't do your homework now. That's not going to help you. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Was it prophecy? I don't know. Did it speak to her? Uh-huh. She's back in Bible study. She's doing it. It makes me happy. Like, that just gets me, like, that, when I see those things line up, this is what, you know, it was just really funny the way, and I'm so glad she shared it with me. And she's like, so I'm going to keep coming. Okay. And by the way, she would have gotten something out of BSF. But it was funny because in her mind, she was seeking direction. She was asking for God's wisdom in this thing. And then just in my offhandedness, God answered her, um, which I think is really funny because, again, you start to see God show up. And, again, it's the equipping of the saints. And one of the things I told her and that I think is that she should be in a body of believers that are believing, that are deep. And I know you all are that way. And I believe there's a reason she's here. So, anyway, so, yeah. All right, so prophecy. All right, so moving on, um, some other things. So it's equipping the saints. What else does it do? Mm-hmm. Okay. You're exactly right. Okay. It is the only gift, um, which I think is interesting, which is listed in all the gifts. Every time gifts are mentioned, this one pops up. So would you say it's important? Every time gifts is listed, this pops up. Okay. 
Now, in Romans 12, there's a warning. The one speaking prophecy is not to go beyond what? Mm -hmm. Proportion of their faith. So we're not to go beyond... Um, and this is one of those things that as you're raising up people in that, you, you want to make sure that what you're speaking is true. Your faith needs to be built up. You need to spend time with God. You want to make sure, because again, and here's the warning to this, what happens if you speak something incorrectly? What can happen? You can hurt people, yeah. And that's really, when we're talking about that, that's that warning, is make sure you understand the proportion of your faith. And Paul is writing this, and Paul's faith was, from the moment he had that experience, he was solid. And a lot of uh, people who have these giftings and have these leadings in terms of being able um, to do prophecy in that, they probably, I'm guessing, did not have that experience. Um, to solidify them. So a lot of them, again, flesh, human, we are trying and wanting to speak with the gifts that we have. But again, this is a warning to the flesh. Don't go beyond what you know about God. Make sure you understand it's salvation history. That is what we are talking about. I love it. Yep, it's subject to other prophets, um, and it's also to the church. There is a governing body. This is really interesting because this gift needs to have oversight to it. Yes. It can be renegade, and it can do a lot of damage. Yeah. It needs to have that. So... As I mentioned before at the beginning, Katie was sharing, you know, that teachers often have, um, will have an accompany or a slight giving of prophecy, okay? So do you understand now a little bit why that is? What is the main purpose of a teacher? It is to teach what? The Word of God, okay? If you spend that much time in the Word of God, if you spend that much time with the, you know, looking through, studying, and understanding, are you going to have insight that is not your own, probably? Yes. So these two, once in a while, you'll see them a lot, not all the time, but in sometimes with teachers, you will see that. And um, one of the things also, though, which is really great, and again, one of the things Katie taught me, which I did not know, is even as teachers, it's good for us to submit to each other and say, Somebody asked me this question. This is how I answered it. How would you have answered it? What would you have said? And the reason we do that is not so much that we think we're always wrong, but part of it is is by me turning to you and saying this, I'm submitting to the gift. I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit. What is he trying to teach the people? Not what I'm trying to, what is he trying to teach? And it has called us 
Um, gifts has been one of these, like I said, with the, the arguments with the apostle and some of these gifts that people have issue with, it has called me to a higher standard where I'm asking and submitting to more authority saying, what is your interpretation? How would you do this? Um, which I think is great because as long as I'm submitting and as long as people in these positions are submitting, what do you know if they're submitting to the authority? They are operating as a bond servant. They are operating right where they're supposed to be, captive in Christ. Okay? All right. Some other things real quick. Um, 1 Corinthians 14. This is one. There's a line that says, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14, there's a flow of thought. And it says that um, knowledge and prophecy are partial now. The partial will be done away with until the perfect comes. What does that mean? When perfect come, who is perfect? So what will we know? We will have more knowledge. And if somebody says to you, and I want you to share this, because this is out there, this is happening among millennials and that, I have the secrets and mysteries and knowledge of God. Okay, let's back up a little bit. For those of us that are Bible students, what are the secrets of the mysteries of God? The what? They're what? They're Jesus. So, again, if somebody comes up to you and says, I have secrets of the knowledge of God that he gave me, Where's your plumb line? What do you know? It's already been revealed. It's already been revealed. See, it's really good when we start operating in this because can somebody have the word of God? Absolutely. Can somebody give knowledge that only God give given him? Absolutely. But again, is it for in a group of believers? Is it for the church? Is it equipping for service? Does it edify, comfort, warn, or encourage? Those are the things that we need to look at, or does it make the prophet look, or prophecy, the one that's prof using the gift, look what? And these are things to start thinking about. And by the way, when you see this gift operate in other countries and that, because the church is still being established in these, a lot of the times the way this operates, which I find fascinating, is a lot of the people who have taken on leadership roles have only been believers for maybe a little while, a lot of them don't have the ability to read or write. So now you're starting to see, and even though they're listening to the word of God, God has imparted upon them a gift which allows them and people are flocking to them, which I find great. And I think I shared this with you once before. There was a young lady in an apartment complex um, who was in a one-bedroom apartment. Nobody, None of you would want to have lived there. And um, she told me at night was when she could do her Bible study because she didn't want to wake her children up. She had a flashlight. They all slept in one room, and one room literally for everything. So at night, she had a flashlight, and she had a Bible open, and she was studying God. And I asked her if there's anything I could pray for, and she said she wanted a second room so she wouldn't wake her children up at night while she was studying. That's convicting to me. 
That is really convicting to me. So I asked her, because she was instructing other women, I said, when did you start instructing women? She said, the moment that Jesus came into my heart, I wanted to tell everyone. And, and I said, so where is this person? She said, well, there's six miles that way. I just walk it. I walk there and I walk back. Okay, she studies with a flashlight. <laughs> She's committed to teaching. Now, here's the thing. In my brain, I was like, who's giving you authority? How did you end up doing this? How do you feel comfortable? Who has said it's okay? Now, here's the thing. Is that an American interpretation? Correct. Is it the church interpretation? Because who has equipped us? And that's what you were seeing. I walked out of there more convicted than I had. I went home and told my husband, I keep a flashlight really close to my where I study for that reason, because that's the sort of thing I think as a church we have forgotten, is that God has equipped us, and because it's such good news, we need to make sure that we are using our gifts appropriately. She had decided, as little bit of knowledge as she knows, to go and teach someone else that has no knowledge. But her little bit of knowledge is great. And do I think God's showing up? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's fascinating to me because, again, these gifts are supposed to do these things in the body. And then what you see is, is she teaching the good news to the poor? Absolutely. There are people who are brokenhearted. She's setting free. Just by the little bit of knowledge that she has, she's operating in what we see what Jesus had come to do. So you start to see the fuller passage of what the body should be operating in. Okay? All right, the last thing I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the plumb line um, for uh, apostles and prophets. And um, I definitely want to do it for prophets and the gift of prophecy. So what do we know about end times? Those of you who studied Revelation, and if you haven't, Katie's getting ready to do it again. Um, am I right, Lois? All right, it's coming. Um, so what do we know about what's going to be happening in end times? Who's going to be showing up in full force? False prophets, right. Operating in whose authority? <clears throat> Where there'll be signs and wonders accompanying that. Okay, I want you to understand that is coming. Signs and wonders, we're going to see these gifts operating, but not for good. So let's talk about some plumb lines for these. All right, you guys are good students of the word. So we know that there are going to be false apostles, and we know that there are going to be false prophets. How do we go about figuring out what is real and what is true. Know them by their fruit. Now this is interesting. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to push you a little bit. Okay. Who gives us the gifts? Whose fruit are we supposed to be developing? So we know them by the fruit. We should be seeing this fruit developing in them. Not only what they're bearing out on the mission fields or wherever they are, but we should see fruit in their life. 
we should see it. What are the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Isn't it good? Isn't it good? We should see those things. Okay? What's another um, good plumb line? What they say about Jesus. Very good. So those of you who are in the world today, what are some false teachings about Jesus? Very good. He's a prophet. He was a good man. He's a good man. What else? What are some other things people say? He was a good teacher. He's not the only way. So if somebody stands up and says, God wanted me to share this with you, Jesus is not the only way, what do you already know? Yeah. And if there's another prophet in the room, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, yeah, if somebody's got the gift, we're supposed to call them on it. That's our job. We're supposed to get out there and say, stop that. Don't do that. Uh, Because it hurts people. Now, here's the thing in our culture. We have been going around saying we're supposed to be tolerant, which is not correct. Right? We are supposed to be captive. And that's one of the things. We are representatives and have authority from who? I don't want to misrepresent him. Mm -mm, Not at all. All right, so what they say about Jesus, I think that's a really good point. What else? Does it line up with scripture? That's your plumb line. And here's one I will tell you that as a church we need to be diligent about. If they have secret meetings or groups and they are not in the body of Christ. That is, they're unwilling to do it in a public setting. They're willing to teach in their or do something in their home. They're willing to. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Okay. These meetings, we have a little get together. So they refuse to be in the body of Christ because what are these gifts for? They are for the body. This is a big flag for me whenever anybody says, so-and-so, well, the lady that I get my hair cut from, I met a spiritual advisor today at Starbucks. Okay. She told me that we need to get together once a month, and she's going to impart wisdom to me. I'll impart wisdom to you right now. Don't go. But see, already I wanted to kind of give you some of those plumb lines because this is what you're seeing. The other thing is, is does it line up with the word of God? Does it fit in the timeline of God? Everybody wants to know whenever there's a big whatever in the Middle East, is this the end? You know, is this the end? Is this the end? Um, I can honestly say we are closer now than we've ever been. (laughs) I know, that's what I say. And then I have a lot of people say this thing too to me that I want you to know. They're like, one day I just feel like the earth is going to burn up. You would be correct. And I know how this ends. I know who has it in his hand. But part of what I want you to understand is the timeline of God. You know, there are events put in place. They're for our knowledge. They're for uh, Jewish believers that will come to faith. But I want you to also understand that 
this is these are good things to know um, within the timeline. Okay, so the other thing is, is if it doesn't come true, they're a false prophet. So it doesn't line up and it doesn't come true. And by the way, what did they do to prophets who things didn't come true? They killed them. Yeah. They took that very seriously. Yeah. Right? And it also says, which I think is interesting, in Matthew, Luke, and 1 John, it says, test the spirit. Which automatically assumes what? Mm Mm-hmm. So you automatically know that there are spirits. And what's interesting about that, it says God allows you to test them for your benefit also to see where your believing heart is. So it wasn't just so you could test them to see whether or not they were saying for true. It was also checking to see, does it line up with the word of God? And does it is it what we know about Jesus to be true? So it's kind of some of those we're exercising that body. So God does allow stuff like that to happen for the purpose of those two things. Um, and I think that's a really wonderful, wonderful thing is that we're getting um, able to test the spirit and also kind of also see the boundaries. For example, I know most of you who study precepts in that, would you say at this point in time you know more than when you started? And why do you know more? Because you started using it, because you started working it, because, yeah, and that's what builds you up in the faith. That's how come you can stand when somebody says to you, you know, I'm seeing a spiritual advisor, and I'm like, we are so going to have a talk about Jesus when this is over. Like, you know, as soon as you're done talking, you and I are talking about Jesus. I can do those things because I have a plumb line. Now, plumb lines are supposed to be keep us within the boundaries of what we're supposed to be doing. But the other part that it does is it's supposed to give us peace. Yeah. It's a foundation. This is where we stand. In a world that says there is no foundation, what did we just say today? There absolutely is a foundation. Absolutely. So whether you agree if apostle exists today or not, or whether the gifts of prophecy exist, you can settle down and know that the word of God is true no matter what. Ten times it is true. Any other questions? Awesome. Thank you.